Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I have a very special guest and, uh, guest and show in mind today. I know I say that a lot, but these are two people of the theater, Richard and Judith Warner. Sorry, Jude. I had to say Judith once. I love that name. Oh, um, yes, that is the correct name. Okay, then. Judith Warner and, uh, or Judith Reagan uh, and uh, Richard Warner. And they are, well, let's just say our paths have crossed many times with sometimes without our even knowing it, especially for Richard and me. Uh, uh, Judith is a lot more astute about such things than we are. But But good afternoon to the two of you. Uh, How are you, Judith? Oh, I am just fine. I'm enjoying this uh, first sunny day after a lot of rain. I know. And, And you, Richard? I, I well, thank you for for having us join you. Uh, we are doing great as we prepare for uh, our next theater adventure. <laughs> Richard wants us to get right to the point. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, they're married. Secondly, they're in theater. Thirdly, they uh, work in the uh, acting department, uh, the drama department at uh, the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, there are a lot of reasons I want to talk to them on and off radio, but those are just some. Richard was, and I believe it's correct to say past tense now, Richard was the head of the acting department at the drama department at the University of Virginia. He's now gallivanting around the nation with another woman, one of my favorite people, Erica Arvold, par excellence, casting director, producer, director, love working with her. And, by the way, I believe she was instrumental in uh, getting both Richard and me cast in Spielberg's Lincoln. So, um, now, Judith, I know I'm supposed to know you. (laughs) (laughs) Way back. Way back. That's right. And we're going to touch on that in a bit, if I get adventurous. We'll see. But... 
they are on today uh, ostensibly because I want to know all about Chapati, the show that is opening at the UVA Heritage Theater Festival this July 6, 2017. And it's going to run until Saturday, July 15th. It's a two-character show. We'll talk more about that. It's about second chances and loving animals and, and falling in love and all that good stuff. But selfishly, the first thing I want to talk about is Same Time Next Year. And the reason I want to do that, it's a great play by Bernard Slade. I've been in preparing for the show. I find that Richard and, and Judith have done Same Time Next Year together. And I believe the only time I've directed a married couple in a play was Same Time Next Year. So I know how I felt about that as a director, but I want to ask you to... How was that working together? Was it the first time? Well, let's see. Um, you know, Marcello, because it was so many years ago, I don't know if it was exactly the first time because in that same season, we also did William Gibson's Two for the Seesaw. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Um, yeah, but, but anyway, it was certainly the first <clears throat> season that we had worked together in a real well-hander. Uh, yeah, yes. that's it. Well, a two-person play. That's the first time we've done that. Jude and I met in graduate school and had done plays since then uh, and in regional theater. But that was the first opportunity to do uh, a two-person play. So if your listeners can picture that it's just the two actors yes. and the director and stage manager. So it's very intimate. And um, and we want to hear also what you think uh, about directing a married couple, uh, because it is a bit different, I, I would think. Yes, it was quite different. Uh, I had directed both actors previously, but never together. And uh, they were both very fine actors, and, and, and but very different personalities. And it was the first time I had directed a, I, I did say a, a married couple, but that isn't true, but it's the first time I directed a, a married couple in a two-person play. And, right, and, yeah. And, and that comes back to the intimacy of it. So uh, from, from my point of view, and I'd love to hear what Jude said about it, what we've always admired about the directors, and that director in, in point was a filmmaker named George Black, who was a wonderful director, uh, and he was actually... Uh, the artistic director of Heritage Theater before Bob Chapel. Oh, yes. And, and, uh, and the, the fellow named Bob Rink was the director of the Two for the Seesaw. And they were distinctively different in their styles, but what they both did, and we really feel this about our wonderful director for Chapati, uh, Doreen Bechtel, is that they respected us as artists and they treated us differently. Mm, that mm -hmm. they, they really, what you do, I think, as a director is understand that there might be a real bond as husband and wife, but that we're going to be moving in a different process, perhaps, mm -hmm. as we develop the play, that we are, uh, that we, uh, that, 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 they, that the great honor and the, sort of the tribute they can do is, is to treat us very, very individually. Well, that would be my first idea. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that, that, right, they... Uh, treated us like you would any other actor, find out who that person is, how they work, and and communicate with them as needed. Also, though, there's something else, Marcello, in your question, and we haven't heard yet what your experience <laughs> was, so I'm going out on thin ice here, maybe. <laughs> but as um, we come into such projects, Richard and I, uh, with no uh, knowing how bad it would be if we ganged up in any way mm. on the director, mm -hmm. you know that's not our. If you enter it with an open mind, um, uh, very much 
like any other project, mm -hmm. then it's a, uh, a communication between the actor and actors, mm -hmm. you know, the company and the director, and you go from there. I think, though, in a play such as Chapati and Same Time Next Year, um, the, a particular challenge for people who know each other as well as Richard and I do is to get to a place where seemingly you don't. Yes. You know, you're meeting, yeah, uh, yes. meeting new, new for the first time. But uh, let's go back around. I want to hear <laughs> what you were uh, well, directing a married couple. I will uh, I'll, I'll give a little story before I give the story. Uh, I directed in Oklahoma ages. I've directed many Oklahomas, far too many. But um, there one, the uh, uh, Aunt Eller, yes, Aunt Eller and the uh, Lori. Now, Lori's the ingenue, as you guys know, and Aunt Eller is the character lead, if you will. And Aunt Eller was brand new to the stage. Uh, and, and nervous. She was very talented, but she was very nervous. And Laurie uh, could read my mind. So there is an extreme. I know you. I know you get that. So it reached a point. If you remember the old story with Frank Sinatra and uh, um, uh, Edward G. Marshall. No, Edward. Edward. Who was? Who uh, that's right, Rocky. Who was that? Edward. Edward G. Robinson. Um, yeah. And they couldn't when they when they did the that film, I can't think of the title now, uh, but they couldn't uh, work together. Frank Copper couldn't direct them together because uh, Sinatra was so uh, spontaneous and Edward G. Robinson loved to l rehearse a lot. So all that yeah. to say, I went through that with this Oklahoma and it, I may may have, I'm like Judith here, I don't know which came first, but it may have been before I did Same Time Next Year. I know it was before because you guys know about this. Um, Father Harkey, um, called me after I was graduated and there was a, a the, the the university had gotten uh, connected with a theater on the eastern shore of Maryland and he wanted me to go there because there was some problem they were novice producers and um, there were complaints from the students and he had seen it as an outlet for you know graduates to go to sort of um, uh, get their start so I went down, and that's how I met or ultimately directed this same time next year. I will get to the point. The husband, I had directed each husband and wife separately, individually, but when we did same time next year, it was a show I, I knew and loved, and um, and they were not as, um, uh, uh, as familiar with it. But it started out, I think Judith sort of alluded to this, it started out with the wife because she and I had worked together many more times. She was very comfortable with me anyway. And, uh, and George, um, the husband, uh, knew me, but we'd only worked together once. In any case, what I, my reaction still to it as a director is that, just as you, you said, on the one hand, because they were married, there were many, I could just let my directorial imagination just go, and they were right, very comfortable with everything. But on the other hand, they were very different people, and there was no way I could uh, direct or speak to either of them in the same way. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that's the first line. The other thing you say, and this might sound so simplistic, but it's not, and that is you directed them. 
Sometimes mm. what I think is that there, a director has a you know, possibility. Jude and I have been married for 41 years. Oh, wow. So the, the, the subtext might be, well, I don't want to intrude. Uh, and what, what what good actors want is good direction. Oh, we want yes. to be direct, directed by you. So yeah. it's it's wading in and making sure you're using the best of the relationship, but also knowing you're you're doing the couple a great favor if you're showing them some differences. If you're yeah. showing them, uh, uh, some people sometimes, and maybe you're going to get to this, uh, steal your thunder here. <laughs> they ask us. We get on on radio shows and say, "What's it like working with your wife?" Uh, you know, <laughs> what's that like? You know, uh, you know. Do you bring it home? Is it you know? What is that something? You know, yeah, you're working together closely. What's that like? So it's interesting because the way I usually put it is this way: is I ask people, do you remember when a, a, a husband or wife or a companion, a loved one, does something sort of amazing that you've never seen them do before? Mm. That's what it's like. Mm. So I, you know, I knew, I know you pretty well after forty-one years. Yes. But when she when she performs, it's like I sit there in amazement, thinking, God, I didn't know she could do that. <laughs> you know, it's it's a refreshingly wonderful uh, way of seeing uh, your relationship anew in uh, this art that we do, which is now she's transforming into a character called Betty. Yes. And so now there you are. You know, so. So uh, that's, that's how I usually answer. Okay. Well, I wasn't going to answer you that ask you that question because everyone asked it. But thank you for the answer. I do I do want to uh, I do want to comment on one thing you said, and then I want to get to Judith. As an actor, I crave a director who will tell me what they want. It uh, it's my joy, it's my pleasure to try and deliver that. But when they it like, and this is where I bring in Judith. In soap operas, I didn't always have that. And as I look at Judith's resume, uh, once again, our paths have either just missed one another or, or whatever. But you have an amazing resume. And we've done a, a, a particularly soaps, One Life to Live, Loving. Um, I don't think, maybe I did one show of uh, All My Children. I was primarily on Another World. But One Life to Live, I do. You were you around when Erica had the flashback uh, uh, high school prom something like a storyline with the beach boys no no i wasn't there for that that story arc okay (laughs) well i was and that was a great time so so i know we're here to talk theater but tell me judith did you find a difference uh in the tell the soap opera directors and the directors uh in your theatrical experience answers pop to mind and yes there are differences between television or film Mm -hmm. and theater directors Mm -hmm. I think primarily especially in soap operas because of the daily at which it moves Mm. you know and sometimes I was appalled on soap operas when there would be mistakes that actors made Mm -hmm. as in calling a character by the wrong Wrong character name name, you know and they (laughs) go back and fix it no. because there wasn't time or there wasn't that attention to detail. Now, I don't mean to be underrating soap operas because mm-hmm. it's an amazingly complex, yes. demanding form. But I do think that at least after a while with any new ongoing character in a soap opera, yes. it all is and has to be done by shorthand. Yes. But the director's say very little. I would hope that directors do intervene then if somebody's just off on a wrong track. <laughs> you know, and I think they do. I think they do, but it's it's there is more focus. There has to be more focus 
I'm the form. Mm-hmm. I'm the timing. Mm-hmm. I'm the extreme uh, demands yes. Yes. of uh, absorbing new material day after day and going with it with your first impulses, usually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but then even in theater where uh, the pace is more generous, you have several weeks to work on something, mm-hmm. some directors are what you described. They, because they have maybe acted and directed, mm-hmm. they are they communicate with the actors on all the deeper stuff, mm-hmm. too, you know, as yes. well as where to go and uh, what pace to move at mm-hmm. and all the technical things. Uh, but they do speak the actor's language, yes. and it's not, not a question of being micro-directing mm-hmm. on this, in this segment, feel this and mm-hmm. say it this way, not that at all, but they understand what will open yes. an actor to further, deeper exploration. Mm. But, Rolando, some directors don't have that capacity, and they mm-hmm. rely on the actor to bring it all. And that, that can be very satisfying when you have experienced, good actors, mm-hmm. and especially if there are other actors in the cast willing to play, willing to explore, yes. willing oh, yes. to... Yeah. Well, you know, my, my first experience on Another World... Uh, <laughs> I, it, I arrived and, uh, and uh, assumed or expected some direction. And what I got was the wonderful Linda Dono who came over and grabbed my hand and said, you, you're the new, you're Marcello, right? And I said, yes. She says, we're going to have a lot of fun. That's, <laughs> and, that, and, and there were different kinds of directors that came and went. You know, the, the, the series had five or six directors as regular. As, uh, and some were very theatrical, which ate up a lot of time. Uh, and some were from the booth. Who and you were expected just to do what you do. Okay, enough right. of so, yeah. But and, thank. And I realize I just called you by your last name. Yes, it's true. And edit that out. Well, there, there, there are two. You know, you get to choose. <laughs> All right, we are going to talk about uh, University of Virginia, and we are going to talk about the Heritage Theater Festival. And Colleen Kelly, who is uh, currently the the interim artistic director after our great friend and colleague Bob Chapel, and he's coming back to do company. And there's a new uh, artistic director coming in to visit July 2017, but to uh, to take over for the 2018 season. I throw out all of that, and then we'll get back to a question. How about? Chapati. We won't be able to finish that in this segment. We'll pick it up later. But Chapati, okay, featuring Richard Warner and Judith Reagan Warner, or is it Reagan Warner? Uh, it's when I work in theater. It's just my stage name, which is my maiden name, okay. Reagan. All right, but Judith in Reagan. In real life, I am indeed Reagan Warner. Okay, so you are a pair of late in life neighbors looking for new homes for their respective four-legged friends. And then what happens? Well, we don't want to spoil the plot, yeah. we hope, uh, but, but uh, you know, it is a play. There are a couple things uh, about the play that I really enjoy. First of all, I think it's good old Irish storytelling. Mm-hmm. And uh, what does that mean? Is that I, I, I think the, the idea that, uh, as we all know, 
theater is an oral or a language medium, yes. whereas TV and film is visual. Mm. And so it's the language that Christian O'Reilly, our playwright, has given us is just beautiful, the expressions and the like. So that's part of the Irish storytelling of it. It also is a wonderfully complex tale about how these two, uh, these two this older uh, man and older woman get together. And I've, I've heard the play described as a play about two lonely people. Mm. And mm. I, I prefer, I prefer right. to say it this way, uh, Marcello, mm -hmm. which is that it's two people looking for companionship, mm. human companionship. Mm -hmm. My character, Dan, says, uh, you know, I, I realize that uh, much and all as I like talking to my dog, it's a company of a person that I miss. Yes. And so what, he's, what they're, they're searching for is some sense of human connection, mm -hmm. which is, uh, I think, one of the most endearing and sweet and funny things that this place says. And the other thing, too, and then I'll let you jump in, is that I love the fact this is a play that's saying that you can still have romance yes. and love and sexuality when you're in your 60s. Yes. That, yes. It, that you can, that can be vibrant, wonderful uh, relationships. And the two characters are, are beautifully drawn in the sense they're both really looking uh, for, and it's a fun part of it, is they're looking for this love, this connection, and they find it through their pets. Mm -hmm. And if anybody of your listeners out there uh, have, have, uh, have had pets in their house, they know that how connected you can be to your pet. Mm -hmm. My dog's name is Chapati. Uh, uh, and the story there is I met him in an Indian restaurant, and Jude's, Jude's character has 19 kittens. So I'll let Jude carry on there. So I think uh, one thing to understand is that they are neighbors, I suppose, yes. but they do not know each other mm -hmm. because they are neighbors in a huge town, which mm. is Dublin. Oh. And uh, so they, they don't know each other prior to meeting. And I think what Richard said, it gets at the essence of it. They are older. They are at the stage in life that we are at. Mm -hmm. And I think if you saw them walking down the street, you might think there's not much story there. That's oh. a very run-of-the-mill person. And that's what I love about the play, that I think people tend to underrate or underappreciate mm. others for so many reasons. Mm. And certainly older people might be subject to just being written off as, well, the best, the most important parts of their lives are over. Mm. Now it's just a, a slow wind down to the finish. And I think that it's the old book and cover story. You, you look a little deeper, and mm. each of these two have had very rich, complicated lives with... Uh, with joys and, and deep sorrows, and all of those uh, have to be negotiated when mm -hmm. you meet someone new, and you have to make, uh, it's easier in some ways not to reach out, not mm -hmm. to keep connecting, mm -hmm. and that is the challenge, one of the challenges before them okay. in the play. All right, we're going to start with that terrific analysis. And we are going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with Judith and uh, Richard Warner, a married couple, but actors, uh, individuals, and um, extreme talents. And I know them. <laughs> All right, stay with us. We'll be right back. Another film rental discovery. 
Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. What would you call a film that took 12 years to complete? In this case, nothing short of a cinematic masterpiece. Richard Linklater began shooting Boyhood in 2002 when his star, Eller Coltrane, was not yet eight and adorable in his innocence. When the film wrapped in 2013, Mason, Eller's character, was 18. He had weathered good days and bad, demonstrated a wide range of behavior, both good and bad, and headed off to college. Mason was a typical American youth. There's nothing radically different about him. His problems are simply recognizable as challenges of growing up in America today. The genius of the film resides in its almost time-lapse elements. Incredibly, Link later completed Boyhood in 39 days of actual filming, meeting once a year for only a few days. It will be remembered as special for capturing the passage of time more comprehensively than any other coming-of-age film is ever again likely to do. We watch the same actors gradually morph physically and emotionally into who they will unpredictably become. The process offers us a universal picture of how time and life experience changes us, how the human animal matures, and how American cultural values have evolved. The payoff? A singularly unique work of artistry. Boyhood. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guests today, Judith Reagan Warner and Richard Warner, uh, couples in life and in theater. We've been having great conversation on the air and between takes. And so we're going to just touch on a little of what the three of us were discussing. I always prefer to direct theater and to act on camera. And Richard was just giving me a great lesson in how coming back every night to the theater, you recreate. Tell, tell us a little more about that, Richard. Yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting when you think about actors that go back and forth and you hear about those great actors like Meryl Streep that say they love to get back to theater when mm. they're doing a lot of film. Mm. So there, there's a lot of reasons for that, but it is what you're doing in front of a live audience ultimately. But for the process for me is that what I enjoy in theater is that uh, I think a lot of audience members think that the show that they see is fixed, mm -hmm. that, that every show is the same. Mm -hmm. Well. It couldn't be it further isn't. from the truth. <laughs> yes. the, thing that's, the thing that's fixed is, is the film and TV. Sure, you're doing a lot yes. of takes, yes. but it's fixed afterwards. Every show is like a jazz concert, that every show is distinctly different. So when a, uh, an actor is in a, uh, a theater show, there's, they're continuing the, to hunt and, and develop the character in front of the audience. And so that's what I enjoy mm -hmm. about uh, performing in theater, mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's really that way. It's it's your it's immediate. The immediacy is is the thing that I enjoy. Yeah, I have never had a really long run, a six month or longer, yeah. but I have had six weeks and mm -hmm. one month, and I never grow tired of the theater performance because there is every night, as Richard just said, it is different. Mm. Different nuances rise mm -hmm. to the top, and there is a palpable energy between audience and and actors. Yes. Even if you're standing backstage waiting, if you're if you have one ear on what's going on, you know how 
how it's going so far, and it's always different. Mm -hmm. Here's an example of it, if I may, is that the play that you and I are about to do, Chikati, uh, was uh, started uh, in Chicago with the very wonderful actor John Mahoney. Mm -hmm. And your listeners might know John Mahoney as the father in Frasier. Yes. Marvelous character man. And he did it with a, a real renowned Chicago actress, uh, Penny Schlusser. And uh, they got rave reviews. And he, I remember hearing a, a conversation he had, you know, an interview, and he said that the audiences would literally roar at the end in applause at the mm. end of Chapati. Mm -hmm. He said, I've never had that happen to me, that they so wanted to uh, to respond. And you know this was as a theater person. It's, it's so amazing to have that kind of human response from a, a collection. Mm. It's, we, it's, it's our, it's our uh, the, the theater drug, the idea that we can connect that much with that many people. So gun to my head, I guess I would do theater first, but um, we don't mean to be underrating or underselling film and television mm -hmm. acting because those demands are so yeah. uh, deep and yes. you have to be crystal sharp and yes. you have to be ready again to do the multiple takes in different ways and you have to turn on a dime. So yes. it's great to keep all the muscles active and be doing as much as you can in the different medium exactly and I and I love I always enjoy acting on on the stage I just prefer directing when I'm in theater and and acting on camera I but I love them both I mean it's just uh, well you I don't need to tell you to it's 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 not just a craft it's not just a career it's something you live and breathe uh, uh, you know, it's in your blood. You have to do it. It's it's that uh, you you crave it when you don't. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. You crave for the chance. Yeah. And it, it is it, it's a it's a mind and soul. Mm. Expander too. For for example, right now in in rehearsal for Betty or pre-rehearsal. Um, how not to sound like a nutcase, but Betty lives in my head every mm -hmm. day, and I go through my day with some awareness of Betty, mm -hmm. and she grows. I don't diminish. Jude doesn't diminish, but Betty grows. Mm -hmm. So there's this uh, very active interior discovery that goes on all the time, which is a, a huge creative uh, exercise that I think People in other professions don't get as mm. much unless they are really outward looking mm. and, and empathetic and uh, well there. Enough on that. Well, you know, one of the things, I'm glad you said that, Judith, one of the things uh, I love about actors is that, I, you know, I do my prep work, work as a director. I come in, I have this concept, and uh, I can, and, and I've often said that I'm, I, I wish I could share because I see in my head the end result. And many times it is that, but most of the time, of course, it's a variation. Because what happens is, uh, is that the moment the actors start reading and they start moving, everything, everything is uh, um, impacted. Everything changes, evolves for me. And that's yep. what I love about it, uh, that it's not just one person's idea, but the, the, every nuance, every, well, I could go on and on. But you know what I mean. It's, uh, I love those first read-throughs. I, I love the first blocking rehearsal. And I love watching it when it's time to sit back. Okay, now it belongs to the actors and seeing those first uh, uh, run-throughs and realize 
It's theirs now. And there's no remorse and no regret about letting it go. It's theirs now. And it's... All right. We, uh, <laughs> we may need to do two shows. Okay. Let's talk at least... Uh, I know you touched on, Richard, thank you, some of the history of Chapati. What, uh, any more about uh, that, specifically that show that the two of you will be opening in on July 6th, to mention that again, at the Heritage Theatre Festival? Or shall we move on and talk about the other shows in the season? What do you think? I'd like to just finish up on Chapati's. Okay. That is what, what we hope people will be interested in maybe enjoying this, is that we're in the small theater. Uh, it's ah, a small yes. black box theater, the Helms. So it's a very intimate theater. There's under 200 seats, uh, probably closer to 175. Mm. And so we're hoping that we can invite you almost like we're in, you're hearing us in our living room telling you mm. this story. There's a, a lot of uh, address to the audience as we invite you into this good old uh, Irish story mm -hmm. uh, about these, this couple that find each other. And so for me, uh, what I think about the full season and Chapati in the season is that uh, our wonderful colleague, Colleen Kelly, the interim artistic director, has put together a very, very balanced season, yes. as did Bob Chapel. Oh, yes. And there's something for everybody. And what we're hoping is that people see this as a show that's not just for older people, that it is a show about, as you pointed out, um, simple people and the profundity of that. And you can go on and on about that starting with death of a salesman you know a simple oh, man yes. and it's a magnificent play mm. we uh i will say this uh, and i mean this so sincerely i'm not just saying this because i'm on the air i love this play yes there are plays and you know this i, I think Michelle, and i think you would agree there are plays that come along in your life and i've been in theater for a very long time and are very close to your heart mm. they just mm -hmm do something to you. You say, I want to do that play. This this play means something to me. Mm. I can't even really articulate the levels of what this play means to me. Um, I just knew I wanted to do it. And our dear friend Colleen Kelly has given us an opportunity to do it and to do it with my wife. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's really a, a gift to me to, to perform this play. And I hope I can offer that to the audience, what, what this play means to me. Uh, and it's fun. Some plays you do, as you know, you do them a bit technically and you can enjoy them. But some plays I call them heart plays, yes. close to your heart. Yes. And this one is certainly for me. Um, and then the, uh, and we'll get a little bit into the season, but we must I must say that we love our design team. The design team is uh, full of young, wonderful, vibrant artists. And our, our wonderful director, Doreen, is going, she's a movement expert. And she, she works over Mary Baldwin in their program there. And she's a lovely, uh, wonderful, and she's going to bring, I think, a world of lyrical uh, movement to the play. Mm. She uh, heads a very creative MFA program yeah. at Mary Baldwin. And mm -hmm. she's directed before at the university, so we're dying to get going with her. Okay. Um, uh, one last word about Chapati. Uh, it haunted the playwright, Christian O'Reilly. Mm -hmm. It took him years to develop, but these two characters were born in his mind, and he, he didn't know, should it be a radio play, mm. should it be a theater play, should it be a short film, and he couldn't work it out for a number of years, but they kept, uh, what, like the sand in the the shells mm. and the oyster that mm -hmm. makes that they the get pearl, yes. kind of rubbing and rubbing around in his mind and finally it emerged in this form and when he got the courage to show it to John Mahoney uh, Mahoney reacted instantly mm. and uh, got the first production going so it has 
a, a staying power, I mm. would say. Now, the other shows, Middletown... Yes. Richard, what do you want to say about well, that? Well, and let me say let me say this, you know, Colleen Kelly was on the show since Richard, I think, and she we have talked about the season. So don't feel we're slighting it if oh, if the okay, three of us okay. choose to, you know, to go off on it. I want to touch just one quick thing and then uh Judith mentioned in the last segment about long runs and whatever and and I want to be clear about my feelings too. I, again, I love theater, and I, my first big professional uh, production that I directed was 1776, and it was in 1976 in Philadelphia. So when Richard talks about there's some that stick with you, uh, and it was a long run, a run for months. Um, I think it started around July 4th of 75 and ran through um, New Year's Eve of that year with the bells ringing at the end and so forth and so on. But my, my point was, during that long run, I played six different characters. So oh, my. I, <laughs> yeah, that'll keep it <laughs> So that was, that was, you know, just thrilling. So I, I do love, especially with our good friend, and now his name is Adam, uh, Evan. Evan, Evan, what's Evan's right, life? Done. Yes. We recently did, of course, 1776 there at Heritage, but we had done um, Barefoot in the Parks uh, <laughs> uh, with Bob. And, oh, yes, of course. Yes, and that electricity you're talking about, especially in that small cast, I mean, Evan would come on the stage, and I think his character spent a total of maybe three minutes on stage, and he spoke maybe 45 seconds, and he was hilarious. So there are such exciting things in theater. I, I It's just too much fun. Okay, Judith, what do you want to talk about? about the final entry in the season, yes. which is uh, about clowning. Very yes. limited engagement, August 4th and 5th. Barry Lubin is coming, and yes. there's a particular resonance there with Ringling. Uh -huh. yes. But then the other half of that is Tim Cunningham, who is on the faculty of the nursing school and the drama oh, department. Yes. Yes. A brilliant uh, cross-departmental hire. Mm -hmm. And Tim is without borders mm -hmm. and if you don't know about their work again that could be a real uh, ray of light in sure. our currently beset world yes. these clowns go to uh, very troubled areas of the world and help people reconnect to life yes through uh, the you know you don't need much to do clowning you need yourself and and uh, that bringing of laughter in those very sore parts of the world is, is something to know about if mm -hmm. you don't already know. And it would be, uh, it's not just an education, uh, I mean, just an intellectual ex experiment. It, they have camps and workshops. Sure. It would be a, a very fun thing to do. We'll have to talk August to them on radio. Check it out. I'll add that Barry Lubin is a, is a world-renowned clown. Yes. Uh, his grandma in the Big Apple Circus. The Big Apple went uh, dark for a while, but returned, and they've invited Barry back in, so he'll return as Grandma in the, the coming seasons of the, big, the new Big Apple Circus. And uh, really, you have to check out this, this unbelievably unique clown's approach uh, to, to clowning. And the, the combination of the two is going to be electric. And it, it opens August 4th, everyone. Runs through oh, August 4th and August 5th. Only, yes. it looks like, at the Ruth yes. Kaplan Theater. 
You know, Richard and I have talked about this before. Um, when people ask me, well, do you, who do you study with? And I say, you know, uh, Colleen Dewhurst once told me the greatest answer to that. You study with the best you can find whenever you can. And so I tip my hat for all of my years experience. I tip my hat to Richard. And I'm t as I've told you before, Richard, I want to take classes with you. But, I'm, I'm, but that makes me wonder about the future of actor training in America. There's so much technology now that I've had to, you know, I've had to <laughs> learn the hard way, believe me. Yeah, but, um, yeah. you know, and auditioning, uh, uh, self-videotaping uh, self to send out. And it's so wonderful when you can go to an office like Erica Arvold's office and audition and you have the, the, the benefit of that professional expertise looking at you and saying, now, Marcello, do it this way. What do we do? for actors coming up. We, we, have, we have had excellent careers, and by no means are we through, but what do we, what do, we do for the, the young actors coming up? How, tell us. Intriguing question, and first of all, I want to uh, thank you. I'd be honored to, to have us uh, to work in a class together oh, be great. Uh, as peers. That would be terrific. And Jude can be part of this conversation, too, because she's, uh, she's been teaching so many years, too, as well. Yes, I'm... Um, it's a, a very intriguing question because uh, as I look out uh, over my career, I do think there's some real significant changes happening in, in American actor training now mm. to accommodate what you've just said. Uh, and what I, my mind is thinking is that rather than resisting the idea of the technology, mm -hmm. what we have to do is help the actors to embrace it, yes. to understand that this is truly where their world is going to be. Mm -hmm. And if you look at some of the more elite training programs, graduate programs in America, they're integrating film and television work more significantly. Uh, in the past, and this is very true about uh, generations of training in the, re I can say this with confidence, we would tack on a little workshop at the end of a, of a theater program and graduate studies uh, on film and TV and think that would be sufficient. Whereas it's a highly, uh, as we all know, complicated and uh, very demanding, challenging uh, technique to move all the work we know about who we are as an actor into uh, film or TV work. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that I see really good programs doing is spending the time to really see what the connective tissue is between uh, these two worlds of, of acting. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. The other one is I'm very envious of many people who are in training now, the younger is coming through, for a couple of reasons. One, there's so much more diversity of people that you're going to meet. It's not as homogenous as it used to be. Uh -huh. This is so thrilling for me to see that you can have in one company people from either around the world or from different parts of, of America. It's really very, very uh, uplifting for me to see that. I think that's part of it. Yes. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, we are, uh, if you know a little bit about it, and I know the two I'm talking to do, is that <laughs> we go back to a century-old training program uh, by the, the, the master teacher, Stanislavski. Yes. And that stuff is still so durable oh, yes. and alive. Yes. But I see training programs now reaching out to, to try to incorporate other systems and to synthesize those into a training system. And that's also encouraging. So, you know, uh, I feel that these systems that are changing, that are being flexible, that are looking to the future, are going to produce some very, very fine actors for us to, to watch, uh, both on stage and, and in film TV. 
Excellent. And I will I will jump on uh, Colleen Dewhurst's um, yes. advice. Yes. Study with the best whenever you can, yes. even if it's just a workshop or just a you know a one day thing. Do mm-hmm. it, but then practice what you learn there. Yes. Take it home and do it. Yes. You know, it, I mean, I, I too find self-taping very challenging. <laughs> but what I have to do is do it, even when there's no audition mm-hmm. on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Do it until I get comfortable and free and creative within it. It's like, I think Richard and I have actually said this to one another before, but uh, just what you said, Judith, it is, it is acting is a practice. Uh, yeah. not, not just in rehearsal, but it is a practice, like a law practice or a medical practice. You are doing it every day because right. it's a profession. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Now I now I know enough to go out and take a class. Okay. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's uh, let's let's run through some dates and and uh, uh, website. I guess the Heritage Theater Festival, University of Virginia. It's easy to find, often referred to as HTF, as in Heritage Theater Festival. Oh, by the way, Bob Chapel will be back this summer, 2017, to direct company, which should be fun. And and what else do you want to tell us um, uh, how we can reach out and, and get tickets? Uh, that's lovely. And uh, I'd like to add a little bit to that, you know, uh, uh, that we have a good friend, Brian Gary, who's directing Woody Guthrie's American oh, yes. Song, and I think... That's going to be marvelous. And also a wonderfully spirited, if you know Ken Ludrick's work from Lemmy and Tanner. Yes. He's written a thing called Baskerville. I know, and that's going to be great. 39 Steps. This is a the wonderful romp about that real treasured Sherlock Holmes mystery. And Colleen Kelly and uh, our friend Marion Kubik are, are co-directing that. Uh-huh. So just want to slip those in. But yes. if I may, too is that we're very, very excited as members of this company and as people that have been connected a long time to Heritage that uh, that we're getting a new artistic director, Jenny Wales. Yes, yes. Je- Jenny knows uh, us from way back. I taught her as an undergrad. Mm-hmm. She, uh, so did Bob Chapel. Colleen Kelly brought her down to Alabama, Shakespeare, and she got her MFA there. And she's done a career of acting and directing and theater management. And we're very, very excited about the future of Heritage. Bob has brought us a long way, and so has George Black before him and David Weiss, Levon Ho. But now we have a future of this wonderfully energetic uh, artist that is going to take the baton and and, uh, bring this into the future, and we hope people will join us. Well, I can vouch for that, too. I couldn't agree more. I, um, I talked with her... Uh, on Charlottesville this week, and I think it will. I think it aired yesterday morning. So there's a podcast out there to be heard. Uh, and uh, Jenny Wales, uh, uh, full of, as Richard has said, full of enthusiasm, of uh, talent, of vision, and so open, by the way, to new works, new playwrights, uh, to the actor. To uh, it's it's just I can't wait to meet her. So she will be in town, I understand, the end of July of this year, but she will take up the reins uh, by the end of the year for the 2018 season. And I do think um, I do think it's a great thing, as much as I love all the names of our past that you have mentioned. Okay, Judith, uh, have the last word. Thing, uh, Marcello, because yes. you mentioned the Heritage Theater Festival website where you can find every bit of information you would need to get tickets and dates and all that. But if you're not a website person, oh. the phone number of 
The box office is 434-924-3376. That's another quick way. Give it to us one one more time, Judith. Yes, 434-924-3376. Now, Richard, you know why I asked her to have the last word. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) this has been... So uplifting. I hope the I can only hope the the listeners enjoyed it as much as as we did. Um, but I think that if if I may, and you two could still chime in if you wish, I think the very uh, thing I was thinking before we got on air today, a theater is for all of its depth. It makes us think. It makes us feel. It challenges us. Uh, and you can sob, you can standing ovations, but ultimately what it does is revive our sense of humanity and happiness. Happiness. And that's what your play is about, people rediscovering happiness. Yes? Oh, beautifully said. Thank you, sir. That, uh, that means a lot to us. That's exactly what I think this playwright is about, and we hope we can offer to, to the audiences. All right, then. Thank you so very much, Judith and Richard. Make certain you see them this summer and the, and get season tickets, for heaven's sakes. Anything else, Ju- <laughs> Judith? <laughs> no, uh, uh, maybe just pointing with this is that, uh, as uh, Marcella, the listeners, as Marcella has pointed out, we go back pretty far, the uh, two of us, the three uh, of us. Uh, and, uh, and there's an old tradition that we have is that he's mentioned a couple times that our paths are crossed, and we've got an opportunity to work just briefly. But here's a fellow in town here I've always wanted to work with. And uh, and I hope that someday uh, either uh, we're on stage together or you're directing us. I hope that uh, I hope that becomes a reality someday soon. I feel the same way. That would be great. That would be great. Thank you, Judith. It's great to talk to you again. I know we uh, your picture even looks familiar to me. Richard and I don't remember one another from the uh, university days. We've sat on the set of Lincoln and talked for days before we realized who each other. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. And all the best to both of you and the Heritage Theater Festival, University of Virginia, and the summer season, and Colleen Kelly, and of course, the incoming artistic director, Jenny Wales. We'll say goodbye for now and best to all. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. Another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Today's film will give you plenty of food for thought. The Donnie Darko screenplay was making the rounds in Hollywood while its writer and eventual director was still in film school. Though greatly admired by the most prestigious producers, it was simply too mind-bending a project to undertake. Then, strangely enough, it was Drew Barrymore's fledgling production company that eventually took the chance and brought it to life. The film made no big splash in the theaters, but it soon became a cult hit, much loved by an ever-growing cadre of film fans. Donnie, played by a young Jake Gyllenhaal, is either fighting mental illness or somehow tuned into some alternate reality. A man in a bunny suit shares with him that the end of the world is near, 
an airplane engine crashes into his bedroom, but the government has no record of any accident. Perhaps time travel will provide him with answers. What is going on here? There is little argument that Donnie Darko is a fine film, intelligently written, well-acted, well-produced, and extraordinarily well-constructed. That being said, there is little consensus as to what it's all about. When a true artist takes us on an intriguing journey and then leaves us wondering where we've been, that's a great film. Independent film, where the real stories are told. You can find us on the web at www.indiefilmminute.com. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us in becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Missing you and us, too. There was little reason for my grandmama to leave her huge farm to go into town a few miles away for groceries, gasoline, farm equipment, overalls, and newspapers. Now I only go back for the funerals and do hear on the breeze what I've missed. I'm not into romanticizing the past. Believing things, for the most part, are always improving. Until G.W. and Cheney, of course. As long as what's new doesn't obliterate what's been with what's coming round the bend. I don't miss Mayberry or my slumlord friends on Shelter Island, but I do miss New York City neighborhoods, walking city blocks, and being constantly in rehearsals for something. I miss Gypsy and Heinrich, best and worst watchdogs, respectively. Don't miss Dad and Mom so much as it still feels like they're here. But I do miss people who trim their trees back from power lines, so when the winds come, we keep our A.C. I miss hailing a yellow cab for Carol Channing, strolling Midtown with Colin Dewhurst, and chatting with James Whitmore about the next voice you hear. He said I was too young to have seen it, but while other boys my age were outside playing ball, I was watching old movies on TV. Mr. Whitmore was so proud of the fact that he had made the movie with Nancy Reagan before she met Ronnie. But I told him I would never forget what it felt like when God spoke to him on his radio. I miss that. I miss taking time to tune up with morning prayers and reel-to-reel Gregorian chant. I don't miss fast cars and curvy roads, for that's still how I relax. I miss Jimmy Stewart and Harvey. Yul Brenner and the American Original Six. Gregory Peck, whom Mom told, my son is an actor too. I never miss Florida, except when I think of hurricanes 250 miles offshore pinning me against the lifeguard chair, streaking back my hair with beach sand, my lips rimmed like a margarita glass, and the ocean some distance away lapping occasionally at my toes, as a seagull above makes no headway because of headwinds. I miss the silence that can only be heard without the din, and I miss people who understand the wisdom in that. I miss Marvine's white boots as much as our drama classes. I miss my voice lessons with Wayne and Ernie, and both the Peabody and Baltimore Opera in the days of George Woodhead and Bill Januzzi, the only man who smoked more cigarettes than my 61-year-old brother, just diagnosed with the lungs of an 80-year-old. I miss him already. For me, missing is more happy memories than sad longing. But I do miss not seeing my best friend Lance Thomas Viney. However, I don't miss the Silver Diner, his favorite dining choice. 
I do miss my annual trips to Europe, but it was a wonderful career that suspended them, so we make our choices. I miss dates on letters, even to find telephone numbers on bills, and I miss sleeping more than five hours a night. But most of all, I miss who we were in the 60s. I miss Abraham, Martin, and John, and Bobby, too. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.